0: Call for Action presents Of Consuming Interest, a public service show that discusses scams, deceptive offers, and other consumer concerns. Here's the director of WJLA 7 Call for Action and your host, Shirley Rooker.
1: What are the policies that can lead to famine? How do politics play a part in it? And what about the desire to go green? We're going to talk about these issues with our guest today. Our guest is Dr. Richard W. Ron. He's the chair of the Institute for Global Economic Growth. He writes articles for a number of publications. I recently read an article by him in The Washington Times, which had to do with what he forecasts as the common famine. And when I went online, I found, unfortunately, that there was a lot of people predicting the same thing. Dr. Ron, welcome to Of Consuming Interest. We're so honored to have you here. Um, But, uh, you know, I don't like the subject. I don't like where it leads me thinking, and my research online says that an awful lot of people are thinking um, about famine and what's going to be down the road for us. You recently, in the recent article you wrote in the Washington Times, you talked about what happened in the government of Sri Lanka. And would you give us a history of that country, uh, a brief history, and what happened there? why they suddenly went from being a, a global success story to, well, some very poor, some very terrible problems in the country.
0: Yeah, traditionally, Sri Lanka, which is just off the Indian it's an island there, had been poor, but then they followed a number of good policies for several decades. They became quite well off, you know, a success story. They were a food exporter. But then the politicians decided to go green. They uh, got enthralled with the environmentalists, so they banned the use of chemical fertilizers and pesticides and uh, followed a lot of these other green policies. And as a result, food production plummeted to a mere fraction of what it was beforehand. And they suddenly had to start importing a lot of food, which really reduced the national income. And
1: it's been a disaster, but a predictable one. Well, you, you stated that you know the, the import of chemical fertilizers and pesticides was banned, which was being used by about 90% of the farmers. Um, people like it was ju- not just governments, it was, uh, I gather, corporations such as you cite Google, Disney, and JP Morgan all urged Sri Lanka to become a net zero nation, meaning I guess no carbon emissions. And um, it's really incredible what happened to them. What is their status now? Are, there, are they suffering uh, food shortages? I, I gather that they have a reduced consumption of food due to the shortages in the country.
0: Yeah, the main thing that happens right now in the short run is that there's still plenty of food available worldwide, but the prices have soared, as you've noticed if you've gone to a supermarket. Uh, you can still get things, but you have to pay a whole lot more. Now, if you're in a relatively rich country like the U.S. or must, much of Western Europe, uh, the fact that your price of milk or eggs or whatever doubles or triples is an annoyance, but it really uh, is not going to affect your basic well-being. But if you're a, poor, a person living in a poor country and if you're poor yourself, for your income is a few hundred dollars a year. An increase in basic foods um, presents uh, a, a real difficulty. You have to give up consumption of other things, and you probably use uh, a lesser quality of food
1: and not as well balanced diet. I, you know, um, when I look at some of these things that are going on, why are, are some of the leaders? quote, leaders in our world, encouraging countries like Sri Lanka to do something that actually ends up destroying them. I mean, it, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to to destroy a country that is, you know, vibrant, productive and promoting a, has a high yield of agriculture. It just is, is a little crazy. And as you pointed out, the cost of food these days is outrageous. The bare shelves are scary. And I'm not trying to be an alarmist. I'm just simply reacting to reality here as I sit back and read and try to learn more about this subject. Um, But now farmers can feed more people. They have the ability. But what do you see going on in this country that gives you pause? Well, let's start off.
0: I'll name a particular individual who I look at as the evil incarnate. And that is John Kerry. John Kerry goes around telling people, that they have to go to zero emissions, that they shouldn't be using pesticides and fertilizers and fossil fuels and so forth. But he has like a dozen homes, private jets, and all these limousines and things. So the fact that prices go up has no effect on him at all because he's a billionaire. And yet he says, well, the other people should give the stuff up, but there's no hardship on him. and. I I just find this basically almost criminal because of what it does to people. Uh, Let's take something like fertilizers.
1: Fertilizers,
0: uh, many of them are made from natural gas and oil, fossil fuels. Without fertilizers, crop yields really fall. And if a crop yield goes way down, It means there's the farmer can feed fewer people and the prices soar and the farmer's income goes way down. Um, This is this is not good. And um, you've got people saying, well, we have to do anything to save the planet. And I think a lot of these environmentalists, their idea of saving the planet is having everybody die. And uh, it's 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 terrible stuff.
1: Well, I was just reading that there are some countries um, in Africa that are really on the verge of of famine. Um, It's being predicted that it's going to happen in a number of countries. And then there's food shortages, as you indicate, where the quality and everything is um, less than what you because you can't afford to buy the stuff in the grocery stores. What is there? Um, Now, there's a number of factors that go into this. one of them that you cite is uh, fossil fuels, which we need to be able to produce these foods. Is, is that, how do you see the whole ban on uh, uh, fossil fuels and the move to go all green? Is that going to really cause us to, to go into a crisis? Yes, of course, if you, if you start
0: banning um, gasoline and diesel engines, um, how are you going to run your t- tractors and farm machinery? The, um, at some point, electric vehicles will be uh, have good enough batteries where they can substitute there, but they're not there yet. And people forget that electric cars and electric trucks, they have to get the electricity from someplace and more than 70% of that comes from fossil fuels coal, oil, and gas. Um, and now you're going to have to greatly expand. I mean, we look at California as a prime example of the problem. California mandates that in a few years everybody's going to only buy electric cars. But the California electrical grid is not robust enough and big enough to support the existing demands of electricity. And if everybody goes to electric cars, that will increase the demand for electricity by 30 to 50%. Where's all that electricity going to come from? And they say solar or wind. Well, that doesn't work. You can do Well, you small... we know that
1: doesn't work. Yeah. Let, I'm do... sorry. You know, I hate to, to break in, but I really need to take a break here. So let's just take a pause for a minute. And uh, l- listeners are tuned in to Of Consuming Interest. You're listening to uh, Of Consuming Interest right here in the Federal News Network. My guest is Dr. Richard Ron who is the the chair of the Institute for Global Economic Growth. And we're talking about famine and how the policies, so many policies by so many governments are leading to problems with feeding our population, feeding not just the population in the United States, but in the world. And there are many predictions that there's going to be famine in many countries and food shortages as well. And you were just talking about the the move towards electric cars. Um, it was ironical that um, people were, were told to <laughs> buy electric cars and they couldn't keep their electric grid going and you got to have electricity to uh, power them. As a matter of fact, I was talking to someone about electric cars and I don't want to digress into that. but. I think that's just one, that's the tip of the iceberg of the problem. That we want to do good, we want to clean up our planet, we want to do all these good things, but yet at the same time we're making such significant impact on our quality of life, on our being able to buy the foods that we want and to live in the homes that we want to be comfortable. Um, and I know that Europe is having some serious problems and forecasting to have serious problems this winter with with electric. Uh, a lack of um, ability to heat their homes. They're gonna be on very reduced uh, uh, temperatures in homes and so on. It's a a little bit worrisome. And unfortunately, it seems to me like too many countries are going down this path, including ours. What do we as citizens and consumers, what do we need to do? Can we protect ourselves?
0: Well, the main protection is voting for political candidates and elected officials that makes sense. And if somebody says, well, I care about the environment and I'm going to make a mandate just electric cars and all everything can be done between solar and wind, what they show is they don't have any understanding of physics. Uh, you, you couldn't cover enough of America to produce enough wind and uh, solar power. And sometimes the sun doesn't shine and the wind doesn't blow, as uh, well, this past uh, year ago in um, England, they had a period of time where the wind wasn't blowing at normal speeds in the English Channel, and all these windmills weren't producing any power. Now, they imported power from Norway and France and other places. But, I mean, we even look at California. California has got some big wind farms and some big solar fields, but California is importing power from neighboring states. Um, and I just find this whole thing hypocritical. Uh, if you decide you wanna go ahead and mandate your people only use electric cars, then it seems that you have the duty to produce enough electricity to power all those cars without saying it's somebody else's responsibility to produce the necessary electricity but getting back well, to your...
1: it ahead. it seems to me that um I, I wonder sometimes how much economics and personal wealth the gaining of personal wealth by people who are pushing some of these policies and their investments in these companies um you read about people who are making zillions because they're buying uh stock and green companies and so on and pushing, pushing these uh, policies. It it um, bothers me to think that we're looking at doing something that can be so destructive when what's wrong with atomic power? I mean, why do we not use um, nuclear energy to produce uh, our, our electricity? Are we ever going to get to the point where we feel comfortable with that?
0: Well, I hope so. Uh- If people have these irrational fears, a lot more people are killed each year in coal plants and uh, other things than they are in nuclear plants. Nobody dies in nuclear plants. You had a few, uh, just a handful of incidents. We all know about Chernobyl. Um, That was a very faulty design. We had the Japanese tsunami, very rare events and very few people actually died in either one of these cases. Um, and nuclear power gets safer all the time. The US Navy has been running nuclear-powered ships for almost 70 years, starting off with the um, submarine, the Nautilus. They've never had a major incident. They've run them sa- safely. They run all the time. Our aircraft carriers, our submarines and other ships They all run on nuclear power, and you don't hear about it because it hasn't been a problem. And an aircraft carrier has enough power to power a small city. These are portable units. There's no reason we couldn't produce nuclear power plants, small ones, in a production line. And uh, there's new technologies, which makes them much safer, where they can't run away and they can't have meltdowns like the Chernobyl plant. And it's just foolish not to use it because it's cheaper, it's more reliable, has no emissions. And... Well,
1: it yes, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me as to why we avoid it. Um, there have been questions about the, the waste that comes from the nuclear plants, but there's <laughs> there's going to be waste from all those batteries from electric cars. And how do you do deal with them when the batteries are no longer usable? They have to be. What about all the... Um, Elements that are used to make the batteries and so on. It, it, I feel like sometimes I only get half the story when I read the newspaper. That's why it was so interesting to read your article because I felt like you were telling me a lot of things that I wasn't getting um, and from other sources. And that's why I decided to do some in, research into this and just see. And, you know, um, I, I discovered, for example, that fer- fertilizer costs have tripled. Um, food scarcity at the retail level. We're seeing that this is happening. I mean, we see it, you go to the grocery store, you see it, you see it now. Um, and and there's some predictions that we're gonna see more empty shelves. And that, you know, you can't blame all this on COVID, which just doesn't seem very fair to me. Um, but at any rate, let's just take a brief pause here and to identify ourselves. Uh, you're listening to Off Consuming Interest. I'm Shirley Rooker. You're listening to of Consuming Interest right here on the Federal News Network. My guest is Richard Ron. Uh, he is a, a, a contributor to a number of newspapers, columnist, uh, speaker, thinker, had all kinds of political jobs and other things. He is currently the chair of the Institute for Global Economic Growth. And we're talking about famine and based on an article that Dr. Ron wrote recently for the Washington Times and some other publications. And um, I gather you've given this a lot of thought. You've had a lot of experience in it. This is what your institute does, is looking at the world and what's going on out there. Um, So would it be safe to say that some of the things that are causing all this are government issues, banning of fossil fuels, um, supply chain issues? What are the other things that are causing this causing this shortage? Oh, and you know, the other thing that I haven't mentioned that got me was the, um, the fact that so many of our food suppliers in this country are being bought by foreign entities.
0: Okay, let me deal with these at sort of one at a time. Um, virtually all our problems are due to government. If we did not have government intervening in these things, the market would take care of it. Now, you do have some natural events. Like this past year, there was a considerable drop in a few places in the US, but basically more so in Europe and some places in Asia. If you have a drought, the supply produced of whatever crop it is will be less and the prices will rise, but the prices clear the market, bringing supply and demand into balance. Uh, But that's occurred, these floods and droughts have occurred from forever. And uh, mankind can deal with them quite well, provided there's not the government interference and in messing up the uh, the clearing mechanism, which is really the price system. Um, and so I can almost trace every quote, real shortage back to some government policy, which, made uh, whatever natural situation it might have been far worse and kept the market from actually correcting it which markets are very good at doing now you also asked me about uh what was your other point there shirley beg your pardon what was your other point you asked me about
1: uh, oh, I, I was asking you about government and what what were the natural influences that affected what's going on here, as you described. And there was there has been a lack of rain in some areas. That's been a significant problem, as, for but that's not always and that's not every year. And um, those things, as you pointed out, so much of it has to do with what comes from the top from our governments and what kind of policies are set in play. Mankind has
0: always been subject to floods and droughts, earthquakes. Um, There's no increase in frequency there. We pay too much attention to so-called experts about making predictions, which they can't possibly know. Um, A few months ago, I guess about three months ago, NOAA, the, the National Weather Service, predicted that we'd have a much higher than average season for hurricanes. Well, we've had no hurricane that actually hit the continent of the United States, and there's been very few. There's one out in the Atlantic now as we speak. But rather than having a much greater number of hurricanes, we've had a whole lot less. You look at how the um, Center for Disease Control, CDC has uh, totally screwed up about the COVID. Uh, the predictions have been all wrong. Their recommendations turn out to be wrong. Um, economists, in my own field, I, I'm always amazed at these people who make the same prediction year after year and are consistently wrong, and and we still
1: listen to them, yeah. <laughs> which is which is yeah, ironical, isn't
0: it? Actually, there was a great economist. His name was F. A. Hayek, won a Nobel Prize back in '76, and uh, Professor Hayek. Uh, had written a number of books, and one of them was The Limits to Knowledge. And he was uh, quite against economists making all these predictions because there are too many variables and you just don't know. And people go off and tell you they know, well, what the stock market's gonna do with precision or what the weather's gonna do, Um, they're guessing. Sometimes it gets right, sometimes it gets wrong. But that's why you don't find anybody who consistently gets the stock market prediction right, year after year after year, if they could actually do that, they would be the richest person in the world. And of course they're not. Although a lot of uh, forecasters have a, <clears throat> have a lucky year or two or three, and everybody says, oh boy, this person really understands. Well, then we find out after year four or five, um, the predictions are wrong. And that happens, that's just the nature of mankind. and. Uh, We have to be modest about things we know. Now, we know how to engineer bridges without them falling down. You have people like Elon Musk, who really are the geniuses who figured out how to put all these satellites up there and how to go to, actually, he's going to Mars, and he seems to have the kind of team that can actually do it. But um, with orbital mechanics, the math is now good enough, and we know enough about planetary motions that can actually predict where satellites will go. But that's very different than trying to do with all the variables about how much rain you're gonna have next year in every given place or how much drought you're going to have. And every year the world has some places have too much rain and other places have too little rain or the temperatures are too high or too low. That happens all the time. And people say, oh, must be due to climate change. No. If you look back, these things have been going on forever. And they'll say, well, this is the hottest year since 1857. Uh, well, what happened in 1857? Why was it hotter then? These questions
1: are never asked. And, uh, and it's, so- it's it's yeah, it, you know, you you put this in perspective for us by reminding us that we really can't predict what's going to happen. We really don't have control over it. There are things that we can do to make a difference, but I think one of the things, and I, and we only we just have a second here. I want to cl- wrap up, but I'm I, I'm concerned because we don't talk about other countries that are really serious polluters, both of our waters and our our environment. So at any rate. Um, Dr. Ron, it's been such a treat having you on today and and listening to your thoughts and and, uh, sharing with us some of your concerns. We really are um, interested in seeing what you come up with next. Thank you so much. Uh, You've been listening to Off Consuming Interest right here on the Federal News Network. My guest has been Dr. Richard Ron, who is the chair of the Institute for Global Economic Growth, and he's painting a picture for us of some of the things that we do right and some of the things that we do wrong. I'm Shirley Rooker. You can reach me at Shirley at callforaction.org. That's Shirley at callforaction.org. Thank you for joining us.
0: Of Consuming Interest is a public service program presented by WJLA 7 Call for Action, hosted by Shirley Rooker. Call for Action is an international nonprofit network of hotlines which offer free and confidential assistance. If you have a complaint, contact Call for Action at 301-652-HELP. That's 301-652-HELP.